You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Mill Creek, our reading this morning can be found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. You can find that on page 936 in the Bibles and the chairbacks in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, we ask that you take one of those home as a gift from us. Hear the living word of our Lord. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of our Lord, and it's true. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather together this morning and worship you. We ask that you open our hearts to your message, and please be with Jeremy as he seeks to be faithful to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Reed. Has anyone noticed uh, how many Christian celebrities, they've written books, been on conference speakers, have a huge platform. Anybody notice how many of those crash and burn? Any of your former favorite person who seemed to profess faith in Christ, seemed to hold an orthodox, faithful view of Scripture, who no longer does? I was sad early in my youth pastor career to hear about Mark Driscoll. He was this pastor who could have, would have, as I understand, signed off on all the doctrine Mill Creek has and was even out throwing haymakers in the culture about how we need to be more faithful to God's word and believe in big God theology. And there's this podcast a couple years ago that just shows all the awful ways that guy crashed and burned. 
It's like discouraging, almost surprising. Like how, how does that happen? In the church world, uh, I, I wasn't a big Willow Creek guy. That's a big mega church in Chicago, but their old pastor, Bill Hybel, some stuff came out about him, and it's like, what? Well, maybe some of you grew up listening to Ravi Zacharias. He's passed, and there was, there's all this awful stuff about him. Th- thought these were Christians. Thought they were legit. Seem like imposters. And of course, the problem isn't just Christian celebrities. It's not like they're the only people who ever have a temptation to, to abandon the faith. Some of us know folks in, in our own circles. Some, some we work with, some we used to go to church with, some in our family. It's like they, they seem to be on the right track and then all of a sudden they're not on the track anymore and they've, they, they've gone. Some have said that times right now are difficult for sincere Christians and, and I think they're right. But it's not just because there are some Christian celebrities out there who have failed or not even just because some of our friends may no longer be walking with Jesus. But, but if, if we're honest... Even inside of our own hearts, we can find this temptation. Inside our own hearts, we realize, man, is there a chance that I'm going to abandon the faith? Might I walk out on this deal? Could I be an imposter? This morning, we continue our sermon series in 2 Timothy, and we find ourselves in chapter 3. And week after week, I try to Keep in front of you the context of this letter. The reason that this thing is getting written is because Timothy, he's a pastor at a church. We we understand it's the the church in Ephesus. And we understand that as a pastor, he he got a letter from Paul earlier on. That was 1 Timothy. And that was God's blueprint for a strong church. And then we understand that Timothy got that letter from Paul, the first one. And and then he did it. And, And as he walked through the steps that Paul outlined to have a strong church, turns out that there were some false teachers, some, some people in the church who didn't like it. And, and if it was a boxing ring, these false teachers started to punch back. And, and Timothy then, a couple years after getting the first letter, he's, he's sitting in the corner of a boxing ring, so to speak, on a stool. And he is battered, he is bleeding, and he's got a couple black eyes, and he's thinking, huh? You know, you know Paul, I feel like I'm losing, man. And, and I thought... I thought being a pastor was a glorious profession in which I would be so successful and important and well thought of, and I'm getting my tail kicked, man. Timothy feels alone. And in fact, his, his corner man, the guy in the corner of a boxing ring who encourages his fighter and tells him what to do and says, man, you get back in there and you keep going at it. His corner man's gone. He's in jail in Rome. That's Paul. So after getting that first letter and after Timothy taking a couple haymakers. Paul writes him a letter, like a good corner man, and and by my count, in this letter, he gives Timothy eight reasons to get back in that fight. And and as we've walked through this book, we've just looked at reason after reason to get back in that fight. Timothy, don't you stop. The reasons begin with, you carry on the fight 
because of your spiritual heritage, that's where we began this entire sermon series, remember who's in your corner. Remember who shared the gospel with you. You may feel alone, but you're not really alone, man. Paul says, I remember your grandma. I remember your mom. Your faith is real, and you're my spiritual son. Don't you forget who's in your corner. Even though you may feel alone, Christian, you're not really alone. You've got this heritage behind you. And that's the first piece of advice to get Timothy off his stool back in the fight. Second, carry on the fight by remembering your gigantic salvation. If you were here for that sermon, chapter 1, 8 to 12, you'll remember that, that salvation isn't just about Timothy in this little time and place. Timothy's salvation, just like any of ours in here who have true salvation, it began in eternity past. And it's going to continue into eternity future. This salvation is gigantic. So do your little faithful part, Timothy, because this thing's so much bigger than you. You get back in that fight. Number three, carry on the fight. Protecting gospel doctrine helps us realize there are theological hills to die on. For Christians, there are theological hills to die on. We need to know the difference between those which are essential, convictional, preferential. Seems to me a good idea to church should write a document about what they see as the essential doctrines, the convictional doctrines, the preferential documents. You could just call it an ECP. You could have it available out at the little place there if you want one. Uh, that was a bad joke in a way of saying we actually do have that, so please help yourself to, to that deal. Because there are doctrines, and you carry on the fight knowing the difference there. For carry on the fight by remembering Christ, because it's all about Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, Timothy, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Man, this thing is all about Jesus. Last week, Jonathan preached, carry on the fight by departing from iniquity. And we are to have nothing to do with unrighteousness. Today, the sermon in a sentence, carry on the fight by avoiding imposters and following Paul. That's where we're at in this book. This, this, is the, this is what's gonna get Timothy off that stool, back in the fight, even though he feels like he's getting his tail kicked, even though he feels alone. And here's why it actually matters for us. It certainly mattered for Timothy, but here's why it matters for us. Friends, there are imposters all around us. There's imposters all around us. And, and, and if you're one of these cup half full people, I like to think myself as an optimist. If, if you're one of these people who just thinks the best of everybody, I, I love that. I'm not trying to rain on your parade, but here's the facts. I didn't make them up. They're straight out of Paul's mouth. There are imposters all around us, and I don't know what Christian celebrities you follow, but they may be fake. Now, I don't know what people in your office say they love Jesus. They may be fake, and I don't know what people you're friends with here at Mill Creek. They may be fake. All of us have have the, even the temptation inside of ourselves to be imposters. And so if we're going to make it to the end, I'm not wanting you to turn into some detective who, who is skeptical and cynical of anything happening around them. But we do need to know the difference between imposter and their foolishness and genuine Christians and the wisdom that follows. We got to know the difference between imposters and Paul. And that's what Paul does in this text. And so that's what we're gonna do in the sermon. This chapter three is easily understood to be shared in two parts. There's imposters and then there's Paul. And we ask ourselves, which are we? And so that's where we're gonna go with the rest of our time. Two questions that follows the outline of the text. Are you an imposter or are you following Paul? If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you jump in with me where we get to see it? Chapter three, one. 
Paul's going to start with imposters. Look what he says. Understand this, that in the last time, days, there will come times of difficulty. Okay? Last days, there will come times of difficulties. Last days. Now, before you go off to college, young people, and have some snarky professor say, see, you can't even trust your Bible because 2 Timothy 3.1, Paul says it's the last days, and that was 2,000 years ago, so clearly you're bananas for believing in the Bible. Know this. Last days isn't what we think it is. We have to allow Paul to tell us what the last days are. And according to Paul, the last days are the time between Jesus' ascension at the right hand of God and his second coming. Now, in case you're new to Christianity or you, you don't have any clue how this whole thing works, Christians who believe the Bible believe that at Christmas, we are celebrating about 2,000 years ago, Jesus, second person of the Trinity, added flesh to his divinity, and he became a baby in a manger. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And he lived, and he died on a cross, and he was put in a tomb. Bless the Lord, three days later, that tomb's empty, amen? Oh, come on, that's an empty tomb, amen? Are you kidding? Let's try that one more time. Three days later, that tomb was empty, Amen. Yeah, that's right, man. We, we, we throw chairs through windows on that truth. The tomb's empty. For about 40 days, Jesus is doing his thing with disciples, and then he ascends to the right hand of God. That is where Jesus is right now. Which is why I lovingly like to correct my kids who say, Dad, I asked Jesus into my heart. No, spirit of Jesus can be in your heart. The person of Jesus, he is right now at the right hand of God. If you had to find a friend and he had a phone, that's where he is. He is coming again. And the time between Jesus' ascension on the throne, where he is right now, and when he comes again, these are the last days. That's the way the New Testament talks about it. So in these last days, there will come times of difficulty. That's what Paul's saying, and that's what we have to be prepared for. So just look at it with me. Verse 2, people will be, in the last times, last days, they'll be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. One of my kids likes to say, oof, oof. One of my other kids likes to say, womp womp. That's kind of a downer. Now notice, please, how this list began. Yes, this, is, this explains some of why Timothy's feeling so beat up. Look, look how the list, list begins. Look how it ends. Because I didn't notice this until somebody else pointed it out to me. It begins with love and it ends with love. Let the record show, according to Paul, the problem with imposters is not that they're unloving. No, no. Imposters have lots of love. They're not lacking love. There's plenty of love to pass around. Problem is, they love the wrong things. I mean, this is what makes it kind of hard for us. You know, people say, man, you, you Christians are unloving. No, 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 that's not true. You, you may feel like we're unloving, or, or maybe Christians look at, look at the world and go, you guys are unloving. No, no, Every, we all have love. It's just, is it aimed in the right direction? Are we loving the right things? And imposters love themselves and money, which explains their arrogance and abusiveness. Imposters love pleasure rather than God. 
That's why they're heartless, without self-control. They're unappeasable. They don't love good. Again, it's not a lack of love. It's a love of what is evil. They have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. See that in verse 5? They look like they're godly, but they actually deny its power. Which confirms that Paul is talking to those in the church. Let the record show. Paul's not saying, hey, look, Timothy, when you go to the grocery store there in Ephesus and you, you have a few pagans around, you just know they're going to be really bad people that are, that are out, in the, out in the world with you, rubbing elbows with you at the stores. You know, Paul's talking to Timothy about people in the church. And if those descriptions aren't enough, look at 6 and 7 where Paul seems to be especially focusing in on some of the leaders of these imposters who are creepers. See that in text? In case you're not up to date with modern lingo like I tend not to be. Creepers are not good. If anybody says you're a creeper, that is not a compliment. <laughs> Neither are these guys. They're creepers. Worse than creepers. They're like Janice and Jambres who oppose Moses. Now, I looked up Janice and Jambres in the Bible. They're not there. So I had to look them up in the Targum. In case you didn't brush up on the old Jewish Targum this morning before breakfast, let me... Don't be impressed. I actually had to Google what the Targum is too. So Targum, 2,000-year-old book, and it told some stories about the Old Testament that the original hearers would have known about. Allegedly, Janice and Jambres are two pharaohs of two magicians of Pharaoh from Exodus 7 and Exodus 8. I read Exodus 7 and Exodus 8 to make sure I was up on this. If you remember the story, Moses goes into Pharaoh to say, let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, nah. And so he goes, well, then I'm going to do a sign. He took a staff and his staff was thrown on the ground. It became a snake. Is that ringing any bells? You read your Bible? Okay. And, and, and then Pharaoh said, and Janus and Jambres, these two guys, they also had staves, and they threw them on the ground, and they became, guess what? Snakes, which uh, sounds real freaky to me. That scares me. <laughs> that scares me, okay? Let, let the record show there is power on the other side. Moses has power, but Janice and Jambres are doing some freaky stuff. I mean, I guess you're a little more comfortable with a limb becoming a snake that, that, that somebody does in the name of not God. Well, then Moses comes back. He goes, well, I'm, I'm going to give you another warning. I'm going, to turn, I'm going to turn the Nile into blood. And it happens. Pharaoh, Janice and Jambres come out. They do the same thing. Right, okay, I'm, clearly I feel like I'm not connecting quite as well. Would you just raise your hand if you've seen water turned into blood before by somebody? All right, me neither. That sounds freaky. They did one more, the frogs. The frogs where, where Moses said, I'm going to bring Frogs are going to come. Janice and Jambres could do the same thing. They could do the same things, which leads me to conclude the dark side has real power. But eventually, they couldn't keep up with Moses. Eventually, there was hail. They couldn't do hail. Eventually, there were boils. They couldn't do boils. Eventually, the sun got blotted out. They couldn't do that one. And near the end, they're telling Pharaoh, get Moses and the Israelites out of here. They are ruining our country. You remember the last one? Firstborn was killed. Janice and Jambres don't have that kind of power. And then that's the point that Paul's trying to make. Just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, so Timothy, the people who are opposing you, 
They're going to go that way. The men opposed to you are also opposed to the truth, corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, which is the encouragement to Timothy. Even though you may be facing real opponents who seem to have real power, they will not get very far. Eventually, everyone will know because that's what happened with Janice and Jambres. Eventually, somebody, you know, Janice and Jambres' grandkids came up and said, hey, I thought you could do some magic tricks. How come you couldn't keep up with Moses? If they were honest, they'd say, he's got a power I don't understand. There's a power behind that that is far greater than any power I can muster because God is the most powerful one and truth does end up being self-evident. The folly is plain to all. I love Stott's quote at this point. A little technical, but I think he gets it. Says it so well. There is something patently spurious about heresy. That is, heresy is another word for that which is not truth according to the Bible. And something self-evidently true about truth. Error may spread and be popular for a time, but it will not get very far. In the end, it is bound to be exposed, and the truth is sure to be vindicated. The self-evident truth of who is truly following Jesus versus imposters will be seen. Timothy and his church can trust it, so can we. To summarize Chapter 3, verse 1 to 9, we find Paul telling Timothy that these imposters are full of folly. We could say fools. That's who the imposters are. They are fools. And Timothy would do well to avoid them. The sobering question then for us, the sobering question for us is this. Are you following one of those fools that Paul's describing? I don't know the podcasts that you subscribe to, and I don't know the authors that you're reading. I don't, I don't know the kind of folks at your workplace or gym or whatever that you're connected to. I don't know, but are you following an imposter? Or is the person and persons you're following legit? More to the point, are you an imposter? Are you an imposter? Do you have the appearance of godliness but deny its power? Here's the application for Timothy, same for us today, from verse 5, avoid such people. Avoid imposters. Avoid imposters. Okay, pastor, that's all fine and dandy, but how do I do that? From this verses 1 to 9, we see two ways to do it. First is by being prepared. You avoid such people by being prepared. Here's where Christians, myself included, could use some correction. Because we all love putting somebody on a pedestal and we have our own kind of preferred Christian celebrities and then one of them fails and we go, oh my goodness, how could that happen? How could your Christian celebrity of choice fail? How could mine? Well, look at 2 Timothy 3. (laughs) Seems like we ought to be prepared for this. And in fact, Mill Creek, pray for me. Pray for our elders. We don't want to fail. We don't want to be imposters. We want to be faithful. And the key to faithfulness isn't that you don't sin. The key to faithfulness is you keep repenting. Just in case you walked in here thinking, I guess Christians never make any mistakes. That's not what the Bible teaches. We all make mistakes. All of us sin. All of us are sinning every day. The question is, are we repenting? Be prepared. 
There are imposters. We are in the last days. Let us not be surprised. A second way to avoid imposters is being able to identify them. Being able to identify them. Again, from, from this section, imposters love the wrong things. It's not that they're not loving. It seems like it'd be very simple if, if imposters would wear red horns and have a tail and a trident and walk around for us. That'd be really, oh, there's one. <laughs> You've come to the wrong church, sir. I see that you're dressed like the devil. <laughs> no, imposters appear godly but deny its power. We've talked previously in our sermon series about the difference between real gold and fool's gold. And it's really hard to the untrained eye to tell the difference. So it is here, but we can be able to identify them because true Christianity connects godliness with God's power. Those things should go hand in hand. And so we must beware if there are folks who are like the Pharisees who keep talking all this spiritual stuff, but it's not because they really love Jesus. They just want to impress you. You should be, you should be very concerned if when everybody's looking, you act one way, and then when nobody's looking, you act a very different way. God sees it all. And you're not going to get very far. Your folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. God sees it all. We don't want to be like Pharisees, man. They, they talked the talk, but they didn't walk the walk. And you remember Jesus calling them whitewashed tombs? Man, you guys look pretty all painted from the outside. Turns out inside, you're stinky, full of bones. Dead man walking. Look, look, if... If you're in here and, you, and you've grown up in the church and, and frankly, you're in the church because you're comfortable, not because you actually love Christ, be careful. I like the way this guy, Ray Ortland said it. He said, look, if in following Christ, you're doing the things you'd be doing anyway, then your Christianity isn't obedience, it's coincidence. And your true Lord is yourself and your preference. If the empty tomb... Christ's ascension, his reigning on high, his second coming, if, if, if that wasn't true and it didn't change any of the way you live and your comfortable preferences, beware. For those of you in here who are parents, or, or for those of you, maybe you're not parents, but you have kids that you love and are, are seeking to point to Jesus, real talk, most of the time, those kids are going to follow the example you give. Real talk. Youth pastor for 12 years. Until I got demoted to being the teaching pastor. Wink, wink. <laughs> Real talk. Parents, you want to know the deal. Here's the deal. If, if there's statistically anything close to a silver bullet when it comes to how can I be sure that my kids are Christian, it's this. Are you a Christian? I want my kids to grow up and, and, and love the church and read the Bible. Do you? There are exceptions. There's always exceptions, but they prove the rule. Parents, you're going to get very often what you are you are and so if you're the kind of person who says look 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 don't you do like I do but just do like I say the kids are going to grow up they're going to follow that they see the hypocrisy so, so don't you be quoting the bible when it serves your purposes but then when the bible confronts you you go yeah I'm, that, I'm not that wild about that verse if if you're doing that, moms and dads, you're like Janice and Chambries. That's Pharisee stuff. 
We shouldn't be fools. Repent. But if we are to avoid such people that are imposters, what is the positive example? That's the second part of this passage that gets us to verses 10 to 17. The question for us as we move to the second section, are you following Paul? Are you following Paul? Keep in mind, Paul here, he is in jail. He is facing imminent execution. And here's Paul's heart, verse 10. You have followed me, Timothy. Timothy, I know you're between rounds and you feel like you're bloodied and battered and you're breathing heavy with a couple black eyes. But you've been following me, Timothy. My teaching, my conduct from the text, my life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings. Timothy, you have been following me. So verse 14, keep following me. Keep following me, Timothy. You see the contrast? Timothy is to follow Paul. Here's what the imposters do. Forget the imposters, man. Follow Paul. And notice that on Paul's list, love shows up, doesn't it? There is a right way to love. Now, for, for those who've grown up in the faith, maybe, maybe like Timothy, you've known about the sacred writings from childhood. You might look at all those words and you go, okay, that, all of that feels good. Conduct. Aim and lie, faith, patience, love, steadfastness. Until you get to those last two, persecutions and sufferings. Urch! Hard stop. Womp womp. Who put those two in the list? P.S. If you follow a celebrity pastor who doesn't talk about suffering and persecutions, beware, because Paul talks about it a lot. We've said it before, let's say it again. For Paul, suffering is normal. This is not his home. He expects it. We ought to expect the same. And by way of example, do you notice the three towns that, that Paul mentions? Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. We could do a deep dive into all of them, but let's just go to Lystra. Guess where Timothy was born and raised? Answer, Lystra. And do you remember in Paul's highlight reel what happened in Lystra? That was the town where they like tar and feathered him. <laughs> he would have taken a tar and feathering compared to what they actually did. They drug him outside the city and everybody picked up stones and stoned him until everybody thought he must be dead. Because who's going to survive that deal? Oh, Paul did. <laughs> I'm sure he could have used a chiropractor after that visit, you know. <laughs> Lystra... We don't know that Timothy was there, but, but we do know that Timothy's grandma and mom knew about Jesus and that they raised Timothy to love Jesus. And so I would not be surprised that behind this comment of Lystra is Timothy going, I remember when I first heard of Paul and my mom and grandma were scared because if this is what they do to Christians, this is scary. And Paul's going, what I'm wanting you to get, bro, is suffering and persecution, that's not fine print part of Jesus loving. That's to be expected. And those cities would have brought to mind. Look, church, I, I, I have no liberty to edit the text. I'm, I'm, I'm to be a faithful mailman. I'm just supposed to deliver what I get sent. I, I am not the master chef. I'm like a waiter who takes what God has prepared, and I am not to dink with it before I give it to you. <laughs> and I will answer for that. If God gave me an opportunity to slightly twist a, a, a word or two in the text, I would. if he said, hey, you can edit any verse, I think I might pick this one up. I sure wish it said all who seek to live a godly life will be 
well-liked by all. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be incredibly wealthy and good-looking. Ha, <laughs> ha, That's not what it says. Verse 13, these imposters, these fake teachers, they go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 14, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And now from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul clarifying here, here's the contrast. Imposters have folly. They are foolish. The scriptures make us wise. There's the contrast. You want to be a fool or you want to be wise? Scriptures make us wise. And in case you walked in here and you didn't realize the, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they go together. Any church or pastor who's trying to unhitch them from each other, beware, that is not the way of Paul or of Jesus. The Old Testament predicts Jesus. The New Testament provides Jesus. The Old Testament foreshadows him. The New Testament follows him. The Old Testament sets us up for we need a perfect prophet, priest, and king. The New Testament provides him. His name is Jesus. And he is the wisdom God's word provides. That's why Paul can say with such intensity, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. For Paul then, the inspiration of the Bible. Inspiration is the fancy Christian term for God breathed it out. Meaning, Paul really was writing, but God, through the Holy Spirit, was putting those words through him. Who wrote this letter? It was Paul, and it was God. God's word is God breathed. The inspiration of the Bible is connected to its profitability. It is profitable. Meaning, when you use God's word, you will get good return on investment. For Paul, those two truths are so crucial. For Paul, God's word was sufficient, clear, authoritative. It, it was his Supreme Court and it was necessary. It's profitable and it is inspired. If it's good enough for Paul, if it's good enough for Timothy, it is good enough for us. Because look, if you actually, if you follow Paul's logic here, and if you would adopt Paul's view of the Bible, this isn't my view of the Bible. This isn't just Mill Creek Elder saying, be a good idea if you thought that the Bible was inspired and profitable. No, this is what, this is what the Bible says about itself. If you, would, if you would grant this premise, if you would come to believe the truthfulness of God's word, it would actually guard you from becoming an imposter. For you know that you're on the wrong pathway if your Bible is often closed. You know you're on a bad path if you have to keep re-explaining every verse that confronts you and, and say, actually, what that verse means isn't actually what it means. It means the exact opposite of that. I hear people doing that all the time. See, a safeguard from becoming an imposter that we're warned of, be a safeguard to celebrity pastors, it'd be a safeguard to those who've ejected from Christianity, it's a safeguard for the elders and I, is sticking with God's word instead of appearing godly but denying its power. God's 
spirit really uses God's word to do God's work. Read lots of good books, but live in this one. God's spirit really uses this book to do work in us. It is inspired and it is profitable. I mean, if you would, get, if you would have an attitude that said, hey, God, whatever your word says, I will do it. Whatever your word says, I'll do it. You're going to have some great guardrails from becoming an imposter. In summary then, this second section is about wisdom. God's man, Paul, giving his protege, Timothy, an example to follow. Carry on the fight, Timothy, by avoiding imposters and following me. That's what this thing's all about. Get back in there. Get back in there, Timothy. Avoid the imposters. Follow Paul. Here then is the application that follows straight from the text. Follow Paul. Follow his example. Follow his sufferings. Follow his use of scripture. Follow Paul. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write that down. But Maybe very quickly you go, okay, fine, but how do I do that? Again, from these verses, 10 to 17, there's two. First, expect persecution. Expect persecution. Those who follow Paul will suffer like Paul. Suffering is normal. This is not our home. I think too many times you, you, you could talk to people and, and, and they say they're Christians and they're suffering and, and, and they, feel like, they feel like they have some disease that only impacts one in a billion people. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let's expect it. And, and by the way, if, you get a, if you're at work and you catch a cold from your coworker, that is not suffering for the gospel, okay? <laughs> All right? Now, sometimes this thing can get over-spiritualized. Honey, I was driving home and, and I got cut off uh, on the highway and I am just suffering for Christ right now. I'm sure that was hard, but that's not the same thing. Uh, what we're talking about here, what we're talking about with suffering and persecution is this. There are people who when they find out you have faith in Jesus Christ, they hate you for that. They just hate you. Okay? There's people who live around you. Maybe they know you go to church. Maybe they don't. But when they find out, they will hate you for it. They just hate you. How, how, dare, you, how dare you think that you have the truth and how dare you be such such an elitist and look down at me for the way I decide to live. Guys, there's, there's, there are real imposters. There's also just real opponents. Okay, so just, we gotta come to terms with this. And, and by the way, in my little lifetime, this thing in our culture has shifted. Now, I, I trust you know that in North Korea and in Afghanistan and, and Iran, there are places where you gather on a Sunday morning like this, you're liable to go to jail for a very long time and maybe not make it out. We think, well, I live in America, man. We have freedom of religion. And undoubtedly, I'm grateful for that. I hope we keep it. But even in my little lifetime, being a Christian has moved from culturally acceptable, like most people would say, would you like a true Christian to live in your neighborhood? When I was born, most people would say, yeah, they're good people. And then in my lifetime, it's moved from positive to neutral to like, eh, I don't care. Do I want a Christian next to me? Oh, I, either way, I'm fine. To negative. People hate us. They don't want us in their neighborhoods. When they find out what we really believe and how that impacts our life, 
We're going to be persecuted. It's only going to get worse. That's the trend. I mean, God willing, he can do whatever he wants in our culture, but just, I just don't want anybody surprised where this thing is headed right now culturally. Expect persecution. Second, be acquainted with God's word. Look, whether you're learning God's word for the first time right now, or whether you've been, whether you've been acquainted with a sacred writing from childhood, like Timothy, stick with it. Let's get God's word and stick with it. Man, if, if you've never done a Bible reading plan, if you've never done a write, Bible reading plan, maybe 2024 could be, could be a year that you start it. And, and, and it's fine. You don't have to read through the whole Bible in a year. That's aggressive. That's intense. I'm a pastor, for goodness sakes, and there's some years I don't make it. So God bless any of you who have. Yeah, but do some sort of Bible reading plan. Just more Bible in 2024. That'd be a great goal for you. Get acquainted with God's word. And, and while we're on this topic, parents, you gotta be teaching and training your kids in God's word. I mean, what a gift to give our kids that they would be familiar with God's word. Or if you don't have kids, but there's, there's kids in your life that you care about, then help them to get acquainted with God's word. One of my best friends takes a few minutes every morning, most days of the week, does this thing called hot breakfast, hot Bible. Has a hot breakfast for him, then he calls it hot Bible and he reads one chapter with him. And, and it's inspiring to me. He, he, he started this a number of years ago, and, and he got done, he got done the, with the whole Bible. The, the kids heard Dad read the Bible. There's lots of names in there he couldn't pronounce right, and, and, and lots of stuff he didn't have the answer to, but just little by little, one chapter, takes whatever it takes, five minutes, ten minutes, reads the chapter, asks a few questions, they move on down the road. I, I thought about that idea. My kids have gone, oh, Dad. And, and if your kids do that, you can just remind them like I remind them mine. Turns out at judgment, I don't answer to you kids. If I did, I may be changing my strategy, but turns out you don't judge me. I got to answer to God on that deal. And little by little, man, thinking about doing that. I don't know that I'm starting it this year. I'm a few days behind already. Uh, what is today? Yeah, the se I'm seven days behind seeing it's the seventh. Maybe next year. I don't know when I, we're going to do it. If you have interest in that, I'd be happy to talk to you. For us, Scripture really is inspired. It does equip us for every good work. And, and if you have God's word, you have everything you need. If you have God's word, you have everything you need. You are competent for whatever faces you if you have God's word. But having come to the end of our passage and nearly exhausted our time, if you're here and you're thinking, wait, but, but what about the spiritual leaders I have given influence in my life. Are they imposters? Or what about people in my family? Might they be imposters? Or, or even more scary, what if, what if I'm an imposter? What, what should I do? If you're here and you profess faith in, in, in Christ, good news for you. For any of us who look at this list that is scary at the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 3, we think, oh dear, I've done that stuff. I have loved myself and money and been proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to my parents. Here's good news for you. From Hebrews 10, 12 to 14, Mr. Ricky already showed us this on the screen. I, I've read the Bible, I, I don't know how many times, but I, I, this just came alive to me just this week. I'm sitting in my little morning time reading my Bible, and this, this thing just jumped out to me. Look, look what the author says. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he's talking about the cross. That was the sacrifice. And then he sat down at the right hand of God. We talked about that. That's the ascension. Waiting from that time, Jesus is waiting until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. That's when he's coming back again. But by a single offering, the cross, 
He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Oh, that's throw a chair through a window stuff, people. If you're in Christ, you have been perfected for all time. Say, even if you've, even if you've made a mistake and violated anything in this text, all you have to do is repent. Repentance is what has got us into the family. Faith in Christ, I'm, I'm sorry for my sins, I'm trusting Christ. It's what keeps us in. Which is to say, the longer you live your life, you don't need Jesus less, you need him more. One more quote before I sit down. One more quote before I sit down. Two authors reflecting on Jesus who was touching a leper. And, and, and in the Old Testament, if you touched a leper, their uncleanliness jumped on you, but not so with Jesus. Check this out. Jesus' cleanliness is far more contagious than the leper's uncleanliness. Their uncleanness. Pause there. Whatever darkness inside of you troubles your heart, Christian, whatever capacities for wickedness and stupidity lurk within, whatever still haunts you from your past, however fearful you are that you will never change, know this, your sin does not intimidate Jesus. What is right in Jesus far outweighs what is wrong in us. There is more grace in Jesus than guilt in you. He is better at saving than you are at sinning. It is at the point where all of us feel the most disgusted with ourselves, the most hopeless and most worthy of judgment. It is in our worst defilement that we find Jesus the most tender and gracious toward us. Amen. We fail. He forgives. So put your confidence in Christ. Carry on your fight by avoiding those imposters and following Paul by putting your confidence in Christ. Someday at judgment, and we're not wearing some letter jacket from high school looking like a total geek. Oh, look, I, I lettered in Science Olympiad, God. Should I get into your head? No, it's all Jesus. Bless the Lord, it's all Him. If you're in Christ, Lean into that real love, his real power. Let's carry on our fight. Will you pray with me? Now, Spirit, we need you. Only you can do the work of taking your word and making it alive in people's hearts. We pray you would. Would you please do this? Uh, for those who don't know Christ, would you Breathe life into them that they might trust and believe for the first time. For those who have a soft conscience, feel unnecessarily afraid, would you give assurance? God, for those who are on the wrong path, wake them up, bring them back. Keep us till the end. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.